1: In today's show, Shai and I will be talking with Dr. Gleb Saporsky. Gleb is a professor at Ohio State University in the Decision Sciences Collaborative and History Department, where he is a researcher in effective decision making, emotional and social intelligence, and related business topics. As a disaster avoidance expert, Gleb helps leaders and organizations avoid disaster through science based strategies for effective decision making and emotional and social intelligence. Additionally, he runs the consulting company Intentional Ventures, dedicated to this mission. He is a best selling author, an in demand conference speaker, as well as a guest expert on major television and radio networks. Good morning, Gleb. Welcome to Business Owners Radio.
2: Thanks so much for having me on, Craig and Shai. It's a pleasure.
1: We've been looking forward to our time with you today, and Gleb, you've spent years in research and study around the sciences of decision-making and seeing firsthand some of the triumphs and disasters that can result. First of all, what drew you to this line of study?
2: Well, you know, when I was a teenager, I saw people around me making really bad decisions. I mean, my parents made some bad decisions that resulted in some financial troubles for them. But people all around me made really bad decisions. If we remember back, you know, about a decade ago in 2007, there were business owners buying offices. There were ordinary people buying houses. They didn't think that they would go underwater in the fiscal crisis of 2008. But they did. And so many business owners and so many ordinary citizens are underwater right now. They made really bad decisions, and that's unfortunate, and that's a tragedy. But large corporations make bad decisions all the time as well. So if we remember back to Blockbuster Netflix, over a decade ago when Netflix approached Blockbuster and said, hey, how about we take your videos online and partner up? And Blockbuster was like, nah, you're small guys. We have large retail chains all over the country. We're doing fine. And where's Netflix right now? And where's Blockbuster? It's bankrupt. It's bankrupt. They make really bad decisions all the time. So everyone at all levels makes bad decisions, and I just want to help avoid that. I want to help business owners, ordinary business people, and everyone else make better decisions in all areas of life. So that's what drew me to studying the process of decision-making and how to improve.
1: It. And with your background, you, you've seen a lot and read a lot and produced a lot, too, and Let's talk about the typical decision-making process that a business leader exhibits and where are they going off track?
2: The typical ways that the business leader goes off track is A, making their decisions too fast and B, going with their guts. Now, our system, as it is, our society, favors business leaders who go with their guts, their intuitions, and who make decisions really quickly. That's seen as a sign of a strong leader. But unfortunately... (laughs) That's not the case in terms of making the best decisions. And that goes back to our Savannah environment ancestors. Our brains are adapted to the Savannah environment. It feels very comfortable and very intuitive for us to, A, make decisions fast, quickly, and B, make decisions that go with our guts, to go with our intuitions. But What is our gut? Our gut is what the scholarship on this topic essentially calls the autopilot system of thinking. It's one of our two systems of thinking. And fundamental response of the gut is the fight or flight response. So do we like it and or not like it? And if we don't like it, then do we fight it or flee from it? So if we don't like it and we fight or flee from it, so let's say we have a saber-toothed tiger attacking us, you might have heard of this as a saber-toothed tiger response, you're going to flee from the saber-toothed tiger, that's a very healthy response. Or if you have an opposing tribe member attacking your tribe, you're going to fight the tribe member, that's a very healthy response. But let's say you're a business owner dealing with an irate customer who's telling you about how your product didn't do what they wanted it to do. Now. Is it really a good idea to shout back at the customer, which is going to be the fight response, or to completely ignore the customer and hang up the phone, which is going to be the flee response? No, that's not a good idea. What you want to know is how did your product make that customer feel badly? What went awry? How can you learn from it? And how can you improve your product going forward? That takes a lot of effort. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel intuitive. We don't want to hear bad stuff. We want to either fight it or flee from it in order to deal with that we have to turn on our second system of thinking the intentional system and that system is not nearly as old as the autopilot system it evolved later and it's something that likely evolved to help us as human beings deal with tribes deal with being in tribes and social hierarchies and this intentional system of thinking it takes about a second to turn on whereas the autopilot system takes milliseconds so it's hundreds of times slower and it's quite a bit weaker but it's a much more effective system for making our decisions better for example how do you deal with an irate customer or so many other decisions so a delaying your decision making is really fundamental and b avoiding your intuitive gut reaction is really fundamental doesn't mean that the gut reaction will always steer you in the wrong direction, far from that. But it will often cause you to make bad decisions. So you want to evaluate with your intentional system whether your autopilot system is leading you in the right
0: direction. You know, Gleb, I think this is such a fascinating topic as it applies to the business owner because in my experience, people that are entrepreneurially motivated tended to be victims of some kinds of biases in almost an extreme way. <laughs> and that mm-hmm. can be a real strength, right? So yes. I think a lot of times that going with their gut and they've experienced some successful outcomes as a result of that, and that's given them the courage mm-hmm. to go out on their own and try something, mm-hmm. but it can really limit them in certain kinds of decisions like you're talking about. And so how do you begin to generate that awareness, first of all, of the way you think?
2: So the fundamental thing is to step outside of yourself and look at yourself from a systemic perspective. People very rarely do that. But let's think about, uh, from an economic, sociological perspective, what happens with business owners. We know that the large majority of new businesses fail, something like 80 to 90 percent, depending on your industry. And people who go into those businesses, they're just as optimistic as the business owner next door you know, the eight people who fail are just things that they're going to do just as well as the two people who succeed. Now, does that mean that the two people who succeed are just smarter or better? Not necessarily at all. It's often a case of luck. So research on this stuff shows that variance, luck, plays a huge role in our ability to succeed. And you know what? We don't want to admit that to ourselves. We want to yeah, think that's different. You know, You know, hey, I built the whole thing. It's awesome and I'm awesome. And therefore, anything that I think is awesome and that's great. Well, maybe you were just in the right place at the right time at that time and your next decision will lead you to disaster. (laughs) You know, so many people went through that. Their businesses failed at the early stage or, you know, in a year or in two or in three. Or maybe they didn't fail, but they made much less money than they wanted to. And like I said, you know, This happens to the big guys as well. This happened to Blockbuster. I mean, we can look at other examples. We can look at Walmart and Amazon. There's absolutely no reason why Amazon is the biggest retailer in the country, why it should have been. Walmart should have been the biggest retailer in the country more than a decade ago when Amazon was starting out. Walmart had all the stores and they were so spread throughout the country. And they were the big guys in the block. Now Amazon has overtaken Walmart in its retailing. And Walmart has clearly made a horrendously bad decision, but by failing to go into online retailing aggressively, it was really, really
0: bad. And what's amazing about that, too, is that Walmart was really pretty innovative in terms of data collection. So they had a lot of information about their customers, which is a huge advantage. Mm -hmm. They did. But the context wasn't there. Yeah, they
2: failed to take advantage of the new online retailing, and that's a major failure. I mean, if you imagine a Walmart combined with Amazon, that would be dominating the American marketplace. No question about it. Another marketplace around the world. So Walmart really failed. Now, they didn't go bankrupt yet. We don't know what will happen in the future, but we clearly see that as a huge and horrendous failure. All the money that they failed to earn by the horrible decision making of the executive team at Walmart. Like you said, they had the data, they had the infrastructure, and they just didn't have the ideas and the good decision making necessary to go forward in this environment.
0: Do you think that that happens a lot in maturing business models? So, I mean, I think this is relevant because business owners that are listening to us now that maybe had a string of success and feel confident about where they are right now in industry. There's a part of you that should always be a little bit uncomfortable because isn't this typical in maturing models? And again, this overconfidence bias and this belief that because we tend to overvalue our historical data versus what's going to happen next. And and shouldn't this be a lesson that you should keep at least part of your resources should always be exploring new potential innovations?
2: So there are a couple of dynamics there. Let me respond to that. So one is the overconfidence bias that people tend to be overconfident. And that's not necessarily a bad thing for business owners. Most people, like I said, the statistics show that business owners who start a new business fail at the rate of 80 to 90 percent, depending on the industry, especially in the restaurant industry. That's really bad. That's closer to the 90 percent. Other industries are closer to 80 percent. So business owners who go through that, they tend to be very optimistic. They tend to think, hey, I can do it. And they tend to be very overconfident. And so plenty of them fail. Now, what happens is that a third bias, which is called survivorship bias, survivorship bias relates to us seeing only the people who succeeded and not the people who failed. When you go to a restaurant, You don't see the nine restaurants next door that failed and closed their business. You know, you can't. It's not visible. So people really overestimate intuitively the amount of restaurants that succeed or small businesses that succeed in all sorts of things and consulting all sorts of areas that, that just fail miserably. That's not visible to us. So we suffer from survivorship bias. If, you know, if those people can do it, why can't that? Right? We don't think that those people might have been lucky in some ways or have some hidden resources that we don't have. And so that goes on to the next point that you made about the maturing business model. Now, there is some really good research by Jim Collins and others called Good to Great, and it talks about maturing business models. So one thing is about being prepared for new situations and investing your resources, constantly innovating. In our time, which has a lot of technology change, really big technology change, huge disruptions, it's highly important to be always innovating and spending some of your resources on innovation rather than just seeking the profit from your business. In economic terms, it's called the exploitation dynamic. How much of your resources do you spend exploiting current opportunities versus exploring new opportunities? And many people fail to spend enough resources on exploring new opportunities and improving their business model. So that's one. The second aspect of the research shown by in the book is that people don't spend nearly enough resources on holding back both exploitation and exploration and preparing for unanticipated disasters. So uh, the book, Good to Great, describes how the organizations that really became great and overcame the mid-stage growth... Those are corporations that reserve enough resources to address at least two major disasters at the same time. So at least two major disasters at the same time. That means that, you know, if you're a franchise and you have, let's say, 10 stores somewhere, then you want to be ready for two stores at the same time to go bankrupt, have a fire, you know, have someone steal all the money from those stores, whatever the disaster might be for your local context. So deal with two disasters at the same time. And that means holding back enough resources in reserve. The essential strategy there is risk management. Business owners tend to be overconfident. They don't want to hear that, but they tend to be overconfident and overoptimistic. And they don't hold nearly enough resources in reserve to address emergencies and various risks and disasters.
1: It's interesting mentioning some of the failures and some of them are very visible few that come to mind in my time and the technologies and in the wireless side and the cellular growth, you know, there are companies that were just too good to fail at the time called Motorola Nokia and BlackBerry. <laughs> and just some very strategic or timely decisions in that road to growth really derailed them so fast. And mm-hmm. the postmortem on those, do you find those available? Are you able to analyze what happened on any of those decision makings?
2: Absolutely. There are lots of good business case studies of what happened and the failures of large companies. Unfortunately, we don't have nearly enough case studies of smaller business owners that failed and why they failed. So, kind of the audience of Business Owners Radio tends to be smaller business owners and we don't have nearly enough information, research on why small business owners failed because they don't tend to keep enough records. They don't go to researchers and tell them, hey, look, you can research us. So researchers haven't gone and dug up through all the why small business owners fail. We know why people can succeed, and we know that a large aspect of why people succeed is luck, much more than people tend to intuitively admit to themselves. So that's kind of been shown by the research. We don't know a lot of reasons why small business owners fail, so we can extrapolate from some of the case studies on large businesses. So the things I said earlier about keeping enough money in and other resources in the reserve to deal with two major disasters at the same time is really important. And doing more exploration and improvement than seems intuitive. You know, much more than seems intuitive is really important to succeed. Other stuff we have less information about, kind of the case studies of failure. And to address the postmortem the really good strategy that I go through with my clients when small business owners ask me to consult with them on how they can improve their performance is a strategy called the pre-mortem, which I can go through. But basically, the strategy involves looking in advance at what can fail in your business and addressing those failures in advance. So that's a really good strategy for small business owners who want to prevent themselves from failing.
1: Sounds like a little bit of one-if role-playing within an organization.
2: It's kind of like that. And for anyone who is interested, I have a tip sheet on the premortem process. So if you email me at gleb, G-L-E-B, at intentionalinsights.org and told me that you heard me on Business Owners Radio, I will send you the tip sheet for free as opposed to having to pay for it as you usually would. So again, that's gleb, G-L-E-B, at intentional. Insights.org, and you can also look up my information on disasteravoidanceexpert.com and find it there. So, the tip sheet helps people, small business owners, medium sized business owners, go through the process of evaluating how they can potentially fail. It doesn't feel good, people don't like to do it. Because it doesn't feel intuitively good. And, you know, our intuitions are guided by our autopilot system. We don't like to think about how we will fail. That's unpleasant and uncomfortable. But it really helps reduce the risk of disaster. So from a risk management perspective, it's really helpful to do that. What it involves is basically getting yourself and a team of other people who are working in the business together and considering, let's say, if you're about to launch a new project or if you're just evaluating the next couple of years going forward evaluating, imagining that either the project went wrong or your business went bankrupt in two years, and then evaluating all the reasons for why that happened. So having the people on the team anonymously, ideally, you'd have an outside person come in to help facilitate this. So I do this for a lot of organizations. I'm about to do it for one nonprofit, which is about to do a merger. So mergers are the good time to evaluate what's wrong with a merger or product launch. Or again, just looking at a couple of years down the road, seeing all the reasons that things might fail and having ideally someone from outside the organization evaluate all the reasons while all the people are in the room so that... The things can be evaluated anonymously, and so nobody knows who said what, because otherwise it becomes really awkward if it involves personal criticism. So, for example, I was doing a pre-mortem process for a medium-sized software company. It was 1,300 people based in San Francisco, and one of the things that they were thinking uh, might go wrong with a new project is that the CEO has been there for just six months, and he was making too many changes and that was a concern for a lot of people that you know he didn't know enough about what was going on to make the changes. So these sorts of things, you want to be able to voice them in autonomously because a lot of people wouldn't want to hear that. You don't want to get into dynamics in the team where people are afraid of sharing their real concerns. And then you figure out how to address those sorts of problems. So, for example, in the software company in San Francisco, we decided to delay the internal changes that were going to go on for six months while the CEO learned more about the team and the structure and what was going on and get more input and buy in from everyone on the changes. In the same way, you, know, you might figure out that something that you're doing with the business, I mean, one way that businesses frequently go wrong at the medium stage of growth is expanding too fast and not leaving nearly enough resources for risk management and exploration. So they essentially pursue the exploitation model too much. They do too much of the same thing and not enough exploring new models and not enough reserving resources for disaster. So that's a pretty clear example. I mean, here in Columbus, there was a recently a thing about a year ago with Jenny's ice cream, which is a really tasty, great ice cream. I love it. Columbus is nationally known for it. But what happened with Jenny's was that they apparently got some bacteria in their ice cream factory and they had to recall all their ice cream. And there was a safety commission which found that a lot of safety codes and standards weren't followed in the ice cream factory because they kind of started from a small store, from kind of local, and they were expanding and they became national. It became like a big thing, but they didn't really improve their process to the safety standards that they should have followed. And so they had a lot of trouble because of that. They almost went bankrupt, and they really regretted later not following the safety standards. That's an easy mistake for a business owner to make that medium stage, kind of expanding from small to medium and going national or going regional or whatever it may be for your case. So addressing those disasters is really
0: important. Gleb, why are these so hard to see happening when you're in the middle of them?
2: The most important reasons why it's hard to see them happening is overconfidence, over optimism, survivorship bias, and some of the same things that I talked about, and also not bringing in external people. So, something that's really helpful is to bring in external people. Let's, one of the things that I advise business owners to do is have someone who's a friend of yours, who's, you know, let's say, if you're in a mastermind group or some other coaching group with. Other business owners, bring in a business owner from the same industry or from a different industry and have that person look at your business and see what may be going wrong and what you can do about it. And you can do her the favor of doing the same thing for her business. You can bring in an external consultant that will take money or you can bring in a fellow business owner and that takes you know you owing that person a favor So to look at what's going on. So getting an external perspective is supremely helpful in addressing disasters going forward and preventing them in the future. So I strongly recommend that for my clients.
1: Cleb, you mentioned the decision-making team. Tell mm-hmm. me who the members might be and what type of characteristics you're looking for.
2: So one of the really important things in the decision-making team is to have a combination of authority and expertise. So by authority, I mean people who are able to make their decisions. By expertise, I mean people who are really close on the ground and who can observe and are most impacted by the decision making. So I can go back to the example of the software firm. What they were thinking of doing was changing their internal evaluation system, performance management system, from just being based on per hour billing to clients to being team-based peer evaluation. So where a team who is engaged in the project is going to evaluate what's going on. And when they brought me in, they were thinking of just having the top-level decision-makers on board, people like the CEO, CFO, the HR VP, vice president, and and so on. Now, what I strongly advised them to do, and which they did, was that they also brought in ordinary software engineers who would be impacted by it, including just typical representatives of the white male engineers, and also somebody who uh, was a black female who was in the diversity committee of the engineers. And so I made sure to bring those in. And one of the issues that came out was a strong fear on the part of the black woman that when you have a team-based peer evaluation system, that white males would tend to do favorable ratings for other white males, regardless of how well the minority groups performed, whether it's women, whether it's black people, whether it's, I mean, there are a number of Indians in the group, so how they performed? So that was a big concern. So we addressed that by reminding team members before each evaluation process to make sure to consider everyone equally and that there would be a temptation to rate people who are like you in a better way. And that's called the halo effect. So it's classical psychological problem, a cognitive bias where we like people who are like us. Who have characteristics similar to us. So for males, we tend to like males more and give them more credit. White, white, you know, black, black, female, female, same things. So if you tend to have the white male being most of the people, then they would tend to rate white males higher, regardless of the performance. So that was one issue. And so reminding them of that phenomenon, that was one. And second, we made a systematic evaluation whether the diversity committee in the firm was going to evaluate the scores and see if on a systematic level the scores of minorities were lower than for white males. And to address that by increasing the scores just you know simply by the average amount of how they were lower, <laughs> because you know it's not like the minority people were underperforming on a systematic level. So if they were systematically lower, then they would be increased. And, and that ended up happening and they ended up being increased by the however much they were lower. So these are the sorts of things that you want to keep in mind. You want to make sure that you have someone who is close, who has expertise on the decision-making around whatever topic it's going to be. So if you're launching a new product, You want the people who are directly involved in the creation of the product and who are directly involved in customer engagement, not simply your top-level decision-making team. So having those people in the room. And I'd say what I've seen work best is groups of six to eight, six to eight people who are doing that. And again, having someone from the outside. If you have a consultant, you can have that. If you have somebody, again, in your mastermind group, in your whatever group, bringing that person in, to ensure anonymity for various ideas.
0: Gleb, that's such great insight about how to form the right kind of decision-making team and those characteristics. And I especially like this notion of making sure you're taking an outside view when the decision is critical. We've covered so much ground today, and I know our time is limited. What would you like to leave our business owners with in terms of what they should be thinking about regarding making better decisions?
2: I would tell them that We all tend to be overconfident, and business owners especially tend to be overconfident. So unfortunately, however much you don't like to admit it, luck likely played a huge role in your success. That's not a bad thing. You know, luck is a good thing. It's good to have some luck, but luck might not help you going forward. So what you want to do is decrease your level of confidence, decrease your level of optimism, invest more resources into exploration. And adaptation to new changes instead of exploitation, meaning sticking with your current business model. So explore what you can improve. Reserve some resources for risks. Twice as much resources. So resources needed to manage disasters, basically. Reserve them, whether it means time, whether it means money, whatever it means for your business. Reserve them in the background to address those problems going forward. And you'll be happy you did. Then. Remember to not make decisions fast. We often tend to make decisions really quickly because we are uncomfortable dealing with uncertainty. We're uncomfortable dealing with, we're just anxious. We experience anxiety dealing with uncertainty. We just want to get it over with and done with and move on to the next thing. And sometimes, especially for bigger decisions, it's very worthwhile to take Time to evaluate those decisions and make sure you're making the right decisions. So I mentioned one of the tip sheets I have on the premortem. Another tip sheet I have, which again I'll be happy to email anyone who emails me at Gleb G L E B at intentionalinsights.org and lets me know that they would like a tip sheet on how to make large decisions. And that helps people go through, you know, whether you want to hire an employee, which is pretty big decision or improve your process of hiring employees for people who are hiring many employees, whether you want to decide where to move your office or which line of industry you want to focus on. A lot of these sorts of decisions, they are big decisions. They're strategic decisions. You want to invest a lot of time and effort into making those decisions. And then again, use your intentional system. Don't go with your intuitions and your gut responses. doesn't mean that your gut is going to be wrong, but you want to evaluate it logically and rationally and see whether it's right or wrong. In many cases, it's going to be right. In a bunch of cases, it's going to be wrong. Just like Blockbuster was wrong in not going with Netflix software. And the last thing is, which just mentioned, the external perspective. You really want to get an external perspective at all levels of your business. When you're starting up, a lot of people, if they had an external perspective, they wouldn't start a business and they wouldn't be suffering from a failure. They would be much more, you know, maybe they would take more time to prepare to start a new business. Or maybe they would start a different sort of new business, but they would be much better off if they got an external perspective at the point of starting a business. And of course, once they're writing a business, systematically getting an external perspective, whether it's from a consultant like me, whether it's from a fellow business owner or somebody else that you trust, getting an external perspective at all stages is really important. I suggest every few months is really helpful. So those are some thoughts I'd like to leave people with.
1: Thank you so much for joining us today, Gleb. We really enjoyed our time with you. I really enjoyed my time with you as well, Craig Genshaw. Thank you very much for having me on. Our guest today has been Dr. Gleb Saporski, professor at Ohio State University and disaster avoidance expert, helping leaders and organizations avoid disaster through science-based strategies for effective decision-making. You can learn more about Gleb, as well as find links to his email and downloads in our show notes at businessownersradio.com. This episode has been sponsored by Aligned for Business. That's Aligned, the number four, business.com.
0: Thank you for joining us on Business Owners Radio. We hope you enjoyed today's show. As always, you can read more about each episode along with links and offers in the show notes on our website, businessownersradio.com.